When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Interested in your thoughts if you sat down to watch Virgin Media uh, TV last night and uh, the, the big interview with Killett Fitzpatrick, Ian Bailey, once again claiming that the person who murdered Sophie Tuscon de Plantier is deceased. I- Ian Bailey, who has been the subject of headlines surrounding the case now for two two and a half decades, made the statement during this sit-down interview with Killett Fitzpatrick while speaking about the recent appeal from Sophie's son, Pierre-Louis. Remember that on The Late Late Show a couple of weeks ago? Ian Bailey uh, says that Sophie's son believes that the killer is still alive. Ian says, I have my own theory that the killer is actually dead. He said, it's sad for him, Sophie's son. I know he believes that I murdered her, but he again reiterated, I had nothing to do uh, with uh, it. And of course, Ian Bailey recently has called on the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris to open up a cold case review of the crime. He says, the only thing I can do is to keep on doing what I am doing and hoping and praying that the truth will come out. And I'm just wondering if you did watch it uh, last night or did you deliberately opt not to watch it uh, last night. But then having sat down, I did, I watched it and I just kind of felt at the end of it, what was achieved from last night? It's just, it's nothing that we haven't heard uh, before. We're coming up. It's unbelievable to think that we are coming up to the 25th anniversary of the death of Sophie, the murder of Sophie uh, in December. And, you know, you wonder 25 years on, will we ever find out what happened on that night and there is nothing that I would not like want more and I would love to see some closure for Sophie's son Pierre-Louis I mean you couldn't help but be upset watching him the other week on the Late Late Show I mean it was literally heartbreaking to watch him anytime you see interviews with her parents who are now becoming very elderly people heartbreaking for them for uh, the, her fa- the rest of her family for her friends and indeed for the wider community in West Cork. I mean this has been hanging over the heads of people in that area for 25 years and I know people in West Cork would dearly love to finally get closure and find out what happened on that night. But you know I watched last night and I've interviewed Ian Bailey over the years but you know I watched it last night and it just struck me does Ian Bailey does he need to stop doing these uh, interviews or is he right 
to keep himself and to keep the topic in the spotlight on the murder of Sophie Tuscon de Plantier in the hope that one day somebody will come forward with information that might finally lead to the murder. But even watching it last night and when I was watching Pierre-Louis on The Late Late, I was thinking like even if somebody comes forward 25 years on with evidence or with information, you you know, you would have to sort of question what somebody's memory like 25 uh, years on. Has the memory waned? Has it slightly changed as to what you actually saw or actually what you thought you saw? So I don't know how how much evidence could be used on somebody coming forward to say, I think I have the final uh, link. You know, if Ian Bailey is right and the murderer is dead, then there's no way for the killer to come forward to finally fess up and and do it. If, as others believe, that the killer is still very much alive and living in the West Cork area, will that person ever decide before they die to say, yeah, I've had enough. I want to I want to come forward. I want to say what actually happened. But it just it just struck me last night. Was was there anything achieved from that interview? Are, Are the media right to keep interviewing Ian Bailey? in the hope that we keep it in the spotlight. And as I say, we're coming up to the 25th anniversary of the death of Sophie. So don't you know there'll be a lot of spotlight again on the murder in December. And of course, we had so much at the start of this year with the documentaries and of course the West Cork podcast as well. Anyway, your thoughts if you did watch it or if you deliberately opted not to watch it. I was speaking with somebody here in the building this morning saying, did you watch it last night? And the person said, no, I deliberately didn't and said, I've had it up to here with everything about that case and, and with Ian Bailey. So I just didn't want to watch another programme on it. So your thoughts welcome to 1850 333 And here we go again. Garth Brooks. It's funny this morning looking at pictures of Garth Brooks standing in Crow Park. They already have all the photographs of him. They can use the ones that they took in 2014. Uh, it's, well, according to media reports, I mean, I don't think Gareth Brooks himself has confirmed this, but the media reports are that the music sensation Gareth Brooks is set to return to Ireland next year. The plan is he'll play a string of uh, concerts and from Gareth Brooks' point of view, he'll finally fulfil his promise to return to his Irish fans. Now, a top-level source in the music industry confirmed, unnamed, confirmed that the chart-topping star is hoping to come back here next year to take to the stage for at least, at least two nights. Now, last month, Eamon O'Boyle and Associates, they applied to Dublin City Council on behalf of Aiken Promotions for an outdoor events licence for next year. Now, the application, this is this is important. The application is for two outdoor concerts to be held in Crow Park. And the two dates that have gone in for the application is Saturday, April the 23rd and Sunday, April 24th. However, according to Virgin Media News, the mooted dates for Garth Brooks concerts, he's not planning to travel to Ireland until September of 2022. So if that be the case, Aiken Promotions are applying for some other gigs in April, which means could it be a bumper year from some, some big name artist 
due to come to Ireland and of course a lot of those artists post-Covid none of them were able to travel they certainly weren't able to do any of the worldwide tours so there are a lot of big named acts who can't wait to get back on uh, stage Bruce Springsteen for example has been mentioned Bruce Springsteen has a lot of fans in this country so he's been mentioned as one possible for those dates in April but you know I've seen uh, reports also that Ed Sheeran it could be Ed Sheeran but there's so many people who are being speculated about that could be coming to uh, Croke Park but a lot of the attention and a lot of the focus now is on Gareth Brooks and could it be Gareth Brooks and I actually when the story broke yesterday I had to check to see when did we do all that chat about Gareth Brooks when were we we went on for days we nearly had a daily slot on the programme the latest update from Gareth Brooks because it started out with the two concerts and then of course it went on and on and then eventually of course as we no, um, it didn't happen. It was back in 2014, so it is seven years ago. So if he does take to the stage, it'll be eight years since he was due to do those concerts in uh, 2014. As I say, initially, we, it got announced in 2014, two concerts. Those two concerts sold out blink of an eye. That then led to three more concerts being added and they were almost added. Was it almost on a daily basis? They'd add another one. They sold out. We're adding a fourth. They sold out. We're adding a fifth. They sold out. In total, 400,000 tickets were sold for those five concerts and the fi- the, the plan was in 2014 that those five concerts would run w- it, was, it was five concerts in a row. They would run one each day for five uh, days. And at the time, lots of speculation that the gigs would be worth 50 million euro to the local economy. I mean, it was a great news story for the economy of Dublin and for hotels and restaurants and pubs. Much excitement. They were saying this is going to bring huge sum of money to Dublin and the surrounding areas. But whenever you buy a ticket, always read the small print. And even when we're running ads for any of these concerts, it will always say that this ticket is sold subject to licence and that was the snag because Dublin City Council had only given the go ahead for three concerts they hadn't given a licence for five concerts there was a storm of objections then came in from local residents living around uh, Croke Park and in fairness the residents at one Garth Brooks at the, t- at the time then they Promoters went back and said to Garth Brooks, you can do three of the five. He said, no, it's five or none. I remember him doing that press conference when when he'd likened to it to choosing between three of your five children. <laughs> how do you pick three of, if you've got five children, how do you pick three out of the uh, five? He made a desperate appeal to the Taoiseach and Kenny, who was Taoiseach at the time. He said, and I quote, if the Prime Minister wants to talk to me, I will crawl, I will swim, I will fly to him. I will sit in front of him, drop to my knees and beg, let me play to these 400,000 uh, people. But of course, he didn't get a go ahead. He didn't get the yes. And then all the concerts was uh, were cancelled. And all of those Garth Brooks hats and T-shirts that had been produced. Maybe they're somewhere lying in cold storage. And the date, if there was a date put on to 2014, can some way be changed to uh, 2022. So I take it that is a good news story for Garth Brooks fans if it goes ahead. As I say, it is all speculation at the moment. And to all Garth Brooks fans, we wish you the best of luck that those concerts will go ahead. And then yesterday, I have to say, I was so disappointed and genuinely disgusted to see a gorgeous...
gorgeous mural of Michael Collins in Clonakilty that had been vandalised yesterday with graffiti. Uh, it was Dean O'Donovan of O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty to my attention when she put it up on her Facebook page and then lots of other people afterwards uh, were uh, sharing it. And it's the face of Michael Collins it's completely covered with this ugly graffiti tag that I think is meant to say the word cork, but the R, I can't really make out the R in it. And it looks like EK, is it? E? It looks like EK is the initial on it. But it's somebody trying to be, oh, look at me, I'm a graffiti artist. And, you know, some people will see graffiti as art. I, I accept that. But it's where you choose to do your graffiti Mr. Graffiti or Mrs. Graffiti Artist, even though it looks like this is a Mr. Graffiti Artist because Gardaí are confirming that a man in his 20s has been arrested in connection with the vandalism caused to the Michael Collins uh, mural in uh, Clonakilty. And he's, this person has been arrested following a number of incidents of criminal damage in Clonakilty between the, tw- the 10th and the 13th of September. But the picture has, this mural has been absolutely Absolutely uh, destroyed. And, you know, what happens now? Do we need to go back to the original artists? And I was checking out to try to find out who did this absolutely stunning mural. And it was painted only earlier this summer. It was funded by Cork County Council and it was completed by artists A.D.W. and Darren Warren from the well-known Waterford Walls project. So Cork County Council paid this group the money to come. They said, look, there's the wall. Do a mural for us, uh, please. And it was a mural uh, depicting Michael Collins and there's other things. There's a dove of peace uh, on it. And it's beautiful and gorgeous, brightly coloured as well. And then destroyed by some, can I use the word knobhead? Um, And it's a word I don't often use, but just, it's just... It's vandalism. It's, you know, and I know the person will probably say, oh, I have a right to do my my art and my graffiti. I'll go do it somewhere else. Anyway, the person has been arrested, so it's with the Gardaí, so we'll we'll await to see uh, what happens. Um, But I know people in Clonakilty and and anyone who saw that mural in the summer will be very disappointed to hear about it. And does it now mean, can it be washed off? Or does it mean we need to go back to the artists and ask them to repaint over it again? I mean, hopefully, I mean, I don't know what kind of paint it's come kind of a spray paint isn't it graffiti artists used use and then if they if we get some I don't know what you, what you would use some kind of cleaner to remove it will it remove then the paintwork underneath from the gorgeous mural so it may mean we, that the artists will have to be brought back and does that mean once again Cork County Council will have to fund to have it repainted and people wonder about council funding and not having enough funding to cut grasses we've been talking about today and uh, people saying that you know that the council are not supplying enough bins and emptying the bins enough and the county council will say we've a limited budget we're doing the best that we can do and then we have to wait money in having to get artists to come back and cover up uh, what was done. It really, really is uh, shameful. And that actual story of the graffiti over that mural broke on the day that a new trail had been launched in West Cork to guide people to the sites in the area associated with the life of uh, Michael Collins you know ahead of the centenary of his death next week it's the Michael Collins Trail and it consists of 140 signs and waypoints linking points of interest relating to his life so you can imagine people will be visiting an area and they'd love to go and see a mural like this only to have it defaced uh, with the graffiti at the weekend 
shocking just on water outage there's repairs to a burst water main and it may cause supply disruptions to Barrick Street Arlington Road Mulberry Road at all the Mitchellstown area and the surrounds until about four o'clock today Irish Water and Cork County Council are working to replace that burst water main and as always they apologise for any inconvenienced cause now a number of people uh, reacting to that programme that was on last night the big interview with Colette Fitzpatrick on Virgin Media sitting down with a one-on-one with Ian Bailey and we're asking what was achieved should Ian Bailey be continuing to do these uh, interviews uh, Morning Patricia was the cudgel that was used to kill Sophie Tuscan de Plantier ever, ever found well it was believed that it was the brick wasn't it it was a, a breeze block that was actually uh, used uh, as, far, as far as I know that was the I don't know if there was any other instrument that they definitively were able to say was used. Uh, West Cork listener says, Hi Patricia, I have no interest in watching that programme last night. So supposedly the killer has passed away. That's convenient, a killer with no name. We could all say that. Uh, says a West Cork listener. Hi, uh, Patricia. I didn't watch the Ian Bailey programme last night. This is a more listener because I was watching a programme. It was part two of the priest who died. I haven't seen that yet. I, I must watch that. I know it was running for the last uh, two weeks. How the people in the parish could not speak up for the priest is beyond me. That poor man got such a sad death and no one ever got done for his murder. That's from a Fomoy listener. And Dan says, I felt the arrogant nature of Ian Bailey does not help, but it is extremely possible that he is innocent. The guard their efforts to stitch him up were appalling, just like their efforts in the Kerry Baby case. Remember the Kerry Baby case when they even tried to uh, maintain that she had had twins by two different fathers. All the statements and the evidence, for example, the bloodstained gate have all vanished. In the Sophie case, True Harris would have no chance of finding truth at this stage, says uh, Dan. And that's the call, of course, that Ian Bailey has made to Drew Harris to open up a cold case review. Dan reckons not much point because some of the evidence has gone uh, missing. Uh, Michael uh, says on this the, it's a two part a two part message but I know the second one for on the big interview a waste of time and effort it produced nothing that we didn't already know and actually a lot of people are saying uh, that Hi Patricia breathing mal I watched the big interview last night total waste of time and money I, it, it's all, I, all, it almost feels like that Ian Bailey likes the limelight I mean who would put themselves through this and then a lot of people not believing Ian Bailey and other people believing uh, him and saying he was innocent so it's kind of a split down the middle but I need to this is some another there's so many television programmes I need to catch up on I haven't seen this but Michael is saying that fo- following the Ian Bailey interview the Tonight Show was on and that simply is too late for me it's way past my bedtime uh, but I often catch it I watch it on the player and that's what Michael is suggesting if we didn't watch didn't see the Tonight programme watch it on the player or on catch up it's Joanne Donnelly. It's in the last segment of the programme. My God, what an elegant lady uh, she uh, is. Um, well worth a watch. She And she delivers some home uh, truths. 
a lady you should consider having on the programme. I need to check out because I don't even know what the interview is about. So if anybody else watched that, Michael thought that was one that is well worth uh, watching on the catch up. I will do that for you, Michael. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, according to Social Justice Ireland, there are fundamental flaws in the government's new housing strategy with targets that are not based on reality. Joining me from Social Justice Ireland, Suzanne Rogers. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. Now, the Housing for All was launched last week, a budget of 20 billion euro over the next five years. Is it too ambitious or not ambitious enough? suppose in, in my if I put my fairy godmother shoes on you'd love to sort of you'd love to build all these houses today and have people move in tomorrow so in one sense I don't think anything is ambitious enough do you know what I mean we have a huge issue here with a a, a, a disturbingly large cohort of Irish people you know people living here who, who don't have access to secure affordable sustainable housing so in you know in a way I don't think anything can really be ambitious enough, but I suppose we do have to be realistic. You know, houses, I can't click my heels together and and magic these houses. They do take a while to build, they take a while to plan, they take a while, you know. So I suppose somewhere in the middle, maybe, do you know what I mean? If it's delivered upon, it will make a difference. And that's the key, isn't it? I mean, it's great to have these reports come out and there was big fanfare. And, you know, when you see that headline figure of 20 billion euro, you're thinking a lot of houses can be built, can, can be built here. But as you say, for the people on housing waiting lists, the people that are homeless, people that are living in hotels who are struggling for accommodation today, those houses simply can't come quickly enough. And, and I suppose for, you know, the work we do here as well, I mean, you've got, you've got so many other people who aren't even included in those figures. I mean, um, people in long-term mortgage arrears, I never really seem to be included in those conversations. And I know Housing for All is looking to expand the mortgage to rent scheme. And they're hoping to maybe get an extra thousand solutions every year for people. But you've actually got nearly 30,000 households that are in long-term mortgage arrears. So, you know, it's that sort of, you know, 30,000 divided by 1,000, you know, that kind of thing. So for for those 30,000 households that are in serious mortgage distress, you know, left from the last crash, you know, before we even get into, you know, unravelling where we're going to be when we come out of, I suppose, what was it on the telly last night? We're moving from pandemic to endemic, you know, we're not really going to, we're not going to move out of, of, we're not probably going to be post-COVID, we're going to be with COVID, which will will change how people work, um, who can work. Um, There may well be industries that are, you know, damaged either long-term or possibly permanently, all of that's going to impact. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot there's a, there's a huge amount that needs to be done. And again, the CSO released um, last week. I think that, and you know, we're up to five million now. You know what I mean? Which was you know it's a huge jump in numbers, even from when I was a kid. Like with three and a half million population when I was in school, I always remember that. And now we're up to five, and they estimate well over six by 2050. 
And where so, are all those people going to live? That's it. That's it. And Suzanne, yeah. is it always hard to get, to capture an accurate figure of how many people actually need, need housing? Like I'm thinking of adult children who are still living at home with yeah. their parents, who yeah. shouldn't be living at home. In normal times, they would have moved out. People who had moved out and have been forced to move back. People who are couch surfing. Anything rather than end up in, in a homeless situation. Is, is it always very hard to get an accurate figure? I think it will be because really, unless you're actually going to knock on every single door, I mean, a census would maybe give you an idea of where people are um, and who's in a household. I don't know whether it necessarily maybe captures need, but, you know, you might be able to sort of say, well, at the last census, we had X amount of adult children living at home, but, you know, there's maybe no, no indication of whether they can live independently or not. So I think it will be difficult, but... On that point, um, you know, the, the the way housing need and homelessness is captured probably does need to be expanded. But I was talking to the CEO of the Y Foundation in Finland, and Finland's always held up as an exemplar of dealing with homelessness. And his point is, sometimes we can get caught up in the numbers, we can get caught up in the data, and politicians, he said, love data. They love to be able to say, we've increased by 2.2% and we've decreased by 17.8%. And he said... <laughs> Just get on with the business of building houses and putting people in them, you know. And I kind of thought, you know, he's probably right to a certain degree, but you do need to have some indication. There's no point in saying we're going to build 90,000 social homes over the next 10 years if that really doesn't, if it doesn't, I suppose, I I hate saying things like solve the problem, but if it doesn't, if it's not adequate, do you know what I mean? If there's there's 200,000 households, who really and truly are in need of social housing, then 90,000 isn't going to be enough. So as ambitious as it is, um, you know, it is, it is, I think it's important to capture the numbers, but it's also important, I think, just to start building houses. Yeah, getting, start yeah. Getting people moved in. And, and actually, I was reading before I came on air this morning a report out from the ERSI looking at homelessness, mm. you know, and, and they're showing that homeless figures also exclude the hidden homeless that we're talking yeah. about, people staying with friends and families. But what was most worrying in the headline from the ESRI report showing lone parents and their children account for 53% of all homeless families. Well, I mean, it's it's well documented. I I've, I only kind of had a breeze through that. Now you're you're uh, you're ahead of me this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I only breezed through it as well. I only breezed through it as well. But um, but it's just shocking to think yeah. that you know lone parents and their children. Yeah. I mean, they are a group that that we need house that need housing. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there was research from Canada, I think, which one I know one of my colleagues analysed um, during the year. And children who grow up in homelessness situations um, are more at risk of becoming homeless as an adult. So sometimes the rhetoric can be, oh, we're all three paychecks away from, um, you know, the street. And they're kind of saying, well, actually, no, there are households that are at much more risk than others. You need to target those households. You need to put those supports in. So, I mean, the, the amount of children, it actually, it, it, it nearly, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd get upset, I think, if you sat down and thought about it for too long. But the amount of children who have either gone through the, you know, the, the, the housing homelessness system, um, but living with housing precarity, kids pick up on that. They know that their mom is worried. You know what I mean? They know that their mom isn't eating her dinner. They know that their mom is 
struggling for Christmas. They know that their mum is struggling for school books. They pick up on all of that. You know what I mean? Like it's it's and to have that to have that security and stability taken away from you at such a young age, I just think is so damaging. Yeah, I know our own Cork Penny dinners here. Katrina Toomey last week, I saw a piece from her where she was talking about families that are living in hotels and lone parents. In many of them are lone parents, and obviously the RSI is backing that up. And what Cork Penny dinners are doing now is they're preparing school lunches uh, for yeah. children because it's impossible in a hotel room where you, there yeah. isn't a fridge to keep anything yeah. fresh. Yeah. And to see little children coming in and getting their school lunches packed by Cork Penny Dinners, I just thought, my God, twenty twenty one. You know, yeah. where? okay. So Suzanne, in in the in the, I'm sorry, we're digressing to so many different topics, but in in the short term, what would you say to the government that they could do? I mean, is 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 it as simple as get out there and start building now? I wish you, you know, I, I suppose social housing, I think, is the answer because, we, you know, we will always have, um, there will always be a population who can't access those basic goods, you know, health, education and housing at market rates and especially at current market rates. Do you know what I mean? So are, are we in agreement that the government does have a duty of care towards its citizens? And if we are in agreement, social housing is the way ahead. There's plenty of public land, um, I think the difficulty is that we're now currently living with decisions that were made in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And they took a while, do you know what I mean? That kind of moved towards the, the, the private market providing these social goods. So it is going to take a while, but yeah, I, I think we just, we, we, you know, we just need to get building, you know, we really do. But, but building the right houses in the right places at the right price, I mean... Um, you know, on the, the topic of vacancy again came up this morning on the radio and I had a discussion with somebody there a while back and they were saying that there's apartment blocks in Dublin in desirable parts of Dublin that are practically empty because they can't get people to rent at those rates but they won't drop the rent because mm-hmm. then you devalue your brand. You know, so you, you do, you need you need solid homes in and you need the infrastructure as well, I think, around them. You know, you need your community centres, you need your green spaces. All of that. I mean, it's that if if my if my magic wand was working now, you know, I'd be. That's what I think. Yeah, we 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 need to be putting people in homes. We need to be building homes for 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 as you said, those kids that are getting their lunch from the Cork Penny Dinners. Yeah. They, they they should be in their own homes. Yeah, and of course, the pandemic has pushed more people into poverty, yeah. and many of them working. I mean. You know, your own father, Sean Healy, I think he was one of the first to coin that phrase many, many years ago when he started talking about the working poor, when nobody else was talking about it. That's very much a reality today. Oh, hugely, hugely. And, and I mean, and, and that goes right the way across, I think, the socioeconomic spectrum as well. I mean, when you look at things like mortgage arrears, I mean, there are households from, you know, you can be driving past going, oh, look at that house. I'd love to live there. Like, that looks lovely. And like that, they could be going down to the Cork Penny dinners for yeah, their, yeah. you know, for, for their packed lunches. So it is, um, you know, work needs to work needs to pay. Um, and I suppose, you know, again, we, we could probably be here for another 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 half an hour. But, um, you know, we've we've just released, um, I suppose, our proposals for the increase in the social welfare rates this year. So hopefully that will. Um, Are you calling for, for an increase across the board? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. I mean, because we're, we're there hasn't been an increase, I suppose, in basic social welfare rates for, for the last two years. But, um, you know, for, for those who are unable to return to work, um, you know, as, as part of the pandemic. But that's the thing, I think, for those who are in work, 
And again, the rhetoric at the moment is all this pent-up savings. We've billions in the bank, you know. And and yet there are households who, as I said, mammy doesn't have a dinner because she knows she has to have the bus fare for, yeah. you know, the young to go to school in the morning. So, you know, it's it, we're a wealthy country, as you said. 2021... Um, Hard to believe. And there might be billions in the bank, but some people have it and and it's the haves and and the have-nots. And we know that the basic cost of living, everyone is complaining about when you go to the supermarket to do your weekly shop or when you fill up your car with petrol. I mean, everything has gone up except social welfare. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I and, it, and it's the non-negotiables that are not that that have gone up. So you know, you you can you can have a look around the supermarkets for you know food and clothing. You can probably you know um, you can do a little bit of a shopping round for bargains. But things like your utilities, um, your heat, your light, things like your access to um, your access to internet. I mean, the days of 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 having. Uh, you know, you need a mobile phone, you need access to the internet. That's that's not a luxury anymore. That's essential for doing anything, practically. Um, those sort of costs are non-negotiable. And again, for people on low income, again, I could talk for about half an hour on, on poverty premiums, but people who, you know, on low incomes tend to pay more for those sort of goods because they can't access, you, you know, if you pay your car tax in one lump sum, it's usually cheaper than paying over... The, monthly you know, yeah. yeah you know that kind of thing um, being able to pay by direct debit but if you're getting your if you get your social welfare in cash over the counter in the post office because you can't afford to maintain a bank account I mean they charge you for lodging they charge you for withdrawing so if you're on 203 euro a week Every every cent counts. Every cent would count, yeah. Okay, listen, uh, I've enjoyed our chat, Suzanne. (laughs) Thank you for that. As we try to solve the world's problems. I know. (laughs) But listen, have a good day and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, Good morning to you. Uh, Bye-bye. We're a lovely woman. That's Suzanne Rogers uh, speaking to some Social Justice Ireland. 1850-333-103. John in Kildallery says, I can't understand how there is a housing crisis in this country. Uh, Why can the government not buy up houses that are available and rent them back to people? There are so many houses boarded up by the council. Actually, whenever we look into that, the the number of houses boarded up by the council, we're always told, are not as many as they are perceived to be. But there, I accept there are some. They could be reallocated to people on the waiting uh, lists. Plus, uh, says Johnny Kildallery, what about the main streets of our towns and villages? There are so many empty buildings lying idle surely they could rehome people 1850 333 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Tusla has launched a new campaign looking for foster carers to take in separated children Seeking International Protection. To talk about the campaign, I'm joined by Claire Murphy, who's Tusla's Services Director for the South. Good morning to you, Claire. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Do many unaccompanied minors arrive in Ireland looking for uh, refugee status? Well, between 2016 and 2020, we had 438 young people come. But in this particular campaign, the government gave a commitment to take 36 young people from the camps in Greece. So... 21 of those young people, children and young people, have arrived and we have 15 coming this month. So our campaign is to seek foster carers for these children to live with 
and we're looking for a diverse range of people. We're looking with people, looking for people maybe from different cultures, from different religions, from different ethnic backgrounds. We're looking for individuals, families, because as you will appreciate, these children come from quite diverse backgrounds. Mm. So we're looking to match them maybe with people you know, open-minded people who could offer them, um, uh, uh, who have the space and are in good health and have the space and time to offer them a foster care home. That's what we're looking for at the moment. Would would many of them not have English? Some of them won't have English, yeah. and we will help with that as much as we can. Yes, actually, there will be, all of the children will be assessed as to their needs. And then if they have need for interpreters or for language courses, we will provide all that, as we will provide support for the foster carers as well. But if you had foster carers who had additional languages, that would be a great plus, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It would be a great plus, Patricia, which is why we're appealing for people, you know, to come forward who might speak a number of different languages. That would be really helpful. But look, we're we're looking for anybody really who feels that they have the, that they're in good health and they have the space and the time to offer a foster care home. And what we're saying to people, Patricia, is to give out a free phone number, which is one 800 226771 that's 1-800-226-771 and what we're encouraging people to do is to make contact you don't have to commit but maybe make contact and you will have all your questions answered and you'll get lots of information on if you do wish to pursue it what will the assessment be like what kinds of questions will I be asked what kinds of references so that people I suppose they begin a journey when they make a contact with us it may or may not lead they might decide for themselves that it's not for them Uh, But we would encourage people, if they feel that they could offer these children and young people a safe place, given that they're coming from the dreadful... Some very difficult backgrounds. Very difficult Uh, backgrounds. And they need a welcoming place of safety and protection. Is it open to single people as well as couples? Absolutely. Yes, it is open to single people, couples, married, not married, same-sex relationships. With or without children in the house, it doesn't matter? With or without children in the house, it doesn't matter, yeah. Okay, and and because of the difficult background that these children come from, a family placement, I'm assuming, is so much better than, say, a residential? Well, we would always look to have, you know, we would always start when a child's journey into care, we would try to start with the foster family. For some children, they're not able to live in the foster family for whatever reason, and then they might need to, to move to residential care. But this campaign is not about residential care, it's about seeking foster carers. And is the long-term plan then to eventually reunite these children with their families? Is that what well, happens? Some of them will be able to be reunited with their families, but some of them won't. I mean, these are all unaccompanied. Some of them are orphans. Of some course, of them, I didn't think of that. Some yeah, of them may, may have no family. May have no family, yeah. I mean, wow. all efforts will be made to to reunite them, and that will be done also through the Department of Justice. But at this point in time, they're all unaccompanied um, and there is no right now. There is no family reunification happening, but we will certainly be looking at that. And the children who have already been placed, the ones you spoke about that came since twenty sixteen, has the many of those placements worked out really well? Have the children yes. gotten on well? Yeah. Yes, they worked out really well, and a lot of them are in what we now call aftercare. So some of them are in college. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, they have worked out really well. Yeah, and started a new life here. That is, that is started terrific. a new life here. Okay, yeah. and obviously ongoing support once the child comes to live with there'll you. There'll be ongoing support provided. There'll be a social worker allocated to the foster carers themselves, which is what we call a link worker. So it's like their link 
between themselves and Tusla and we will provide all support that we can provide to them. But also each child will have an individual assessment as to what their particular needs are. Maybe they need speech and language, maybe they need occupational therapy, psychology, whatever it is that the child's needs are will also be provided. So okay. we will offer as much support as we possibly can. Okay, but we're really appealing for people just to, to reach out and forward. say, "I've got an interest. Let, let let me find out more." That's what it's exactly. all about. Exactly. All right. So it's and I'll just give the number again. Please it's do. One eight hundred two two six seven seven one. That's one eight hundred two two six seven seven one. There's also a website, tusla dot fostering at tusla dot ie. That's t u s l a. So it's tusla dot fostering at tusla.ie Okay, good luck with and it Claire. people can find Thanks very much Patricia And thank you for joining us Good, mor- good morning Bye-bye. to you Claire Murphy Bye. there who is Tusla's Services Director for the South if you would be interested in opening your doors your hearts and your homes uh, to an unaccompanied minor uh, coming from in many cases war-torn situations You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Pat has got an interesting take when I mentioned uh, there's talks of Gareth Brooks uh, coming back to fulfil the Croke Park dream uh, next year from the disappointment in 2014. Uh, Pat, and and we've actually put up a poll on Insta, I don't think we've got results in yet, uh, asking people, will you go out and buy tickets? Are you a Gareth Brooks fan? Can you not wait uh, for tickets to go on sale? If it is Gareth Brooks uh, coming to Dublin next year, Pat says Gareth Brooks turned his back on Ireland in 2014. Three concerts were granted a licence but he was insisting it was five or none and he refused to come and do the three so Pat obviously now not a fan I don't know if you were at the time uh, Pat but he feels he turned his back on Ireland and therefore shouldn't be supported uh, if he does decide to come back next year and Joe was on once to say well done to all of the staff particularly the nurses at CUH he had to attend an out patient's appointment at CUH yesterday and he said the way the nurses worked the system there yesterday he says it was unbelievable. They are working so much harder and they're under huge uh, pressure with people waiting four to five hours to be seen. He said he feels the nurses are forgotten about now following on from the worst of the pandemic and he just wants to acknowledge all of the staff at the outpatients at CUH yesterday take a bow. Now can anybody offer advice to one of our listeners doesn't want we're just going to call him Tom which isn't his real name in West Cork Tom uh, writes to us to say I need to lose a lot of weight doesn't say how much but he says a lot of weight and I'm confused he says as to which weight loss group that would be suitable for a man there's Unislim Weight Watchers Slimming World Motivation Weight Loss Programme and lots others I'd like to join a group situation because I feel a group would help me a male or a female group in West Cork any advice from your list Listeners would be very welcomed indeed. And that's from Tom. So any male in the West Cork area or indeed any female who joined a particular group that it's I think it is harder for men to rock up to something like that to say I need to lose weight women have a tendency if they go to a weight loss group what will often happen is you might go with a friend who needs to lose a few pounds pounds as well and you know two people going together is always great but I do think it's possibly harder for men maybe I'm wrong but I would just be of the impression that it's maybe harder for a man to walk into a weight loss group but Tom who you know finally has decided need to do something about my weight wants to do something about his weight and likes the idea of a group situation so if you're in the West Cork area and you're 
you're in a weight loss group, are you welcoming of men? Have men attended? Are men attending? Or has, if any other man is listening and he's joined a weight loss uh, group that's worked for him, can you let us know and we can pass on the details to Tom, please. And good luck, Tom, on your weight loss journey. 1850-333-103. And a listener is wondering, when will the council start doing for something for somebody with MS? The listener knows of somebody whose house needs to be refurbished for her disability. She is four years waiting for a walk-in shower and all she seems to get are excuses. Keep shouting is all I can say. I know at one stage they closed off that because the council literally didn't have the funding. I mean, they're limited on how much funding they have every year for adaptation to houses. There isn't a bottomless pit there, unfortunately, or a, a bottomless crock of gold that they can go to every time somebody needs to have work done. But I would say to your friend to keep trying, keep telling them about her needs. And hopefully four years does seem like a long time to be waiting for a walk-in uh, shower. And then we were talking when we were speaking with Social Justice Ireland and we were talking about housing, but we ended up, I, I found uh, Suzanne uh, Rogers uh, fantastic that, to chat with this morning. And we ended up talking about a whole host of different things and in particular when you speak with Social Justice Ireland because of Father Sean Healy he was the first one really to coin that phrase of the working poor and the living wage he's been talking about that for years and years for as long as I've been interviewing Father Sean he's been talking about a living wage and the the working poor I mean I touched on it with uh, Suzanne and they were you know she was saying in their pre-budget submission they've asked for an increase right across the board for social welfare recipients because she feels you know many social welfare welfare recipients haven't received an, inc- an increase in a number of years and I was making the point that everything has gone up I think if you chat to anyone I mean you know I've even noticed myself doing the weekly shop seem to have the same amount in the trolley but it seems to be more you know it's in everything I think there's been a, it feels that there's been a small increase on everything and then it all mounts up particularly if you do a big weekly shop like I do something that normally say you were getting for 90 euro suddenly you're paying over 100 euro for it if others notice that everything just seems to be gone up lately but if you're living on social welfare you're on a fixed income and the money that you get every week hasn't gone up. So Mike is wondering, do you think the disability allowance uh, will go up? Well, the call from Social Justice Ireland is for an increase across the board. But then somebody who just signs themselves a keen listener. Increasing social welfare, I think, is a crazy idea. It's hardly going to encourage people back to work. After 18 months of being out of work and 18 months looking for work, I finally got a job offer. I'm over the moon. Congratulations to you. I know for a fact says this keen listener, that people are holding back getting a job because they're on a nice weekly handout from the government, i.e. the pop payment. The sooner that is gone, the better. Well, I can tell you from today, people receiving the pop uh, payment are going to notice the first of the reductions in the scheme because the two top rates of the pop have been reduced by €50 from today. And of course, they closed all new entrants in in July. Uh, Meanwhile, the government plan. Now, the, it will be phased out completely. One That listener is saying the sooner it's phased out, the better. Well, it won't be completely. Pop won't completely go until February of next year. But there was a, there is a plan that some pop recipients will move to the standard job seekers payment, but that's been pushed back now until the end of October. It was due to be the end of this month. But there are reductions to anybody who has lost their job because of the pandemic and receiving a pop payment. People who had been receiving €350 per week, that's gone down to 300 from today. 
people who were on 300 that's gone to 250 and people who were receiving 250 per week will now get 203 euro which is the standard job uh, rate and from late October anyone on the 203 rate they then will move to the job seekers uh, payment the process as I say was originally due to come in at the end of September but then the government confirmed last week that they're going to wait until the end of October because that's in line with the reopening of the roadmap out of the pandemic and of course we know the full reopening is not happening until October the 22nd and there was a huge amount of criticism when they were talking about closing it off before the reopening on the 22nd particularly from people in the live events and the entertainment uh, industry because many of them are unemployed and if the pop had if everyone had been reverted to job seekers it would mean under the pop people can earn up to 960 euro over a two week period without losing their benefit and that's kind of like you know session musicians and people who could pick up a gig here and there they, they would still hang on to their pop payments so that they decided to leave it so the pop will remain in place until the 26th of October there will be two further reductions in it on the 16th of November and on the 8th of February next year and then the end of February the pop payment will be gone completely and if people are still unemployed then they'll just revert to uh, job seekers but interesting from that list who feels that the that pop payment is actually causing people not to go back to work and not to look for work. I was looking online on a piece about the reduction in the pub payment and you know the way people could put a comment in it, it was on the journal.ie and there was a number of people on that who were saying, you know, five th- one person was saying 5,000 construction workers are still claiming the pandemic unemployment payment, the pop payment, while the construction industry are crying out for workers. And somebody else uh, was saying that the pop needs to go. My company are screaming uh, for staff, as are others, and we can't get people to work. People prefer to remain on the pop payment. So there are some people, I'm not saying everybody, on the pandemic payment want to stay on it because it is a, it is a number that's declining. Last week, there was just over 140,000 people receiving the PUP pandemic payment. But for people who are asking about increases in the next budget, we'll have a budget in October. Next month is the, the budget and people are saying what's going to happen with social welfare. Will there be increases in social welfare? Well, increases in the state pension and social welfare payments they're among some of the areas being considered by the, the Cabinet. And this came out actually yesterday from Leo Varadkar. He came out and he said there hasn't been a rise in the state pension for a number of years or in other social welfare payments. And he said he wants to return to the norm in next month's budget where increases are made to the pension and to other social welfare recipients. He was speaking at the Fine Gael Thinkin in County Meath and he said he refused now to disclose when he has been pushed for what are the figures he, he refused to say that but among the measures expected to be included in the budget are also a tax package for middle income earners as well as that increase for social welfare and pension packages but there's been no figures. It isn't like a fiver for everyone or pensions will go up by a tenner. They're not giving a figure. They're just saying that yes, they are seriously considering it and they, it does look like when the budget gets announced next month, there will be some kind of increase for social welfare recipients, which I'm imagining from that statement from Leo Varadkar, it's going to be across the board. It won't be for just uh, 
old age pensioners. It will be for all people on social welfare. 1850-333-103. And Marie says, Morning, Patricia. Good morning to you, Marie. Could you please pass on my compliments to Butterfant GAA Bingo? It resumed in Butterfant last night and it was so well set up and it felt so very, very safe. It was great to be back to a bit of normality. Well done to all involved, says Marie. And there were so many people so happy when we were announcing that Bingo was back in uh, we were, And we had people trying to find out about the buses and the organisers, in fairness to them, contacted us yesterday to say they're desperately trying to get buses back on the road. They didn't have them organised for last night, but they are hoping that the usual buses will operate next for next Monday. And they said they'll get back in contact with us but I know they were asking people to bring their COVID passes with them they were going to be checked at the door and they were keeping everything above board so that everybody could go in enjoy their bingo but also to go in and know you're safe so I was thrilled to see that text come in from Marie to say so well set up and so well run so take a bow everybody involved in Butterfront GAA for the organising of your first bingo back uh, since you were forced to close down. 1850 333 C103 Jobs. Welder Fabricator wanted. That's for a busy workshop in Newmarket. CVs, please, to info at allenweld.com. Cronin Centre have full part time and flexi time positions available in all three locations Ballylicky, Lep, and Union Hall. CVs, please, to Cronin's Food Store at gmail.com. A secretary is required and this is for a legal office in Bandon. It's for maternity cover and it will begin in December. CVs, please, to Solicitors at gmail.com. And a healthcare assistant is required for Skibbereen Residential Care Centre. Now, training will be provided. You can call 028 23617 or email your CV to info at skibcare.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, a Bantry mum who is recovering from breast cancer has released a song she has written herself to raise funds for breast cancer research. Claire Hayden joins me with all of the details. Good morning to you, Claire. Morning, Trisha. And How are you doing? I'm very well, and it's great to chat with you again on the program. Now we'll we'll chat about the song in a moment, but can we start by chatting a little bit about your your cancer journey? When did you first realise you might be in a spot of trouble? Um, I suppose it was last year um, in September. I um, I found a lump, and I went to my GP um, pretty quickly, and I was seen a couple of days later in CUH in the triple assessment. Um, so I, yeah, I went and had a mammogram. I was 38 years old, no family history. I, I suppose I wasn't overly concerned. Um, and then what followed after that the same day was an ultrasound. Um, and I I think I just started to kind of realise something was was up there because um, the, the atmosphere changed in the room during the ultrasound. And I was told that I'd probably need biopsies that day. And I asked that day um, did they think it was cancer and they said they'd wait for the biopsies to come back and I said look is, is this cancer and uh, the doctor said yes it is wow. so it was yeah um, and you know in hindsight I suppose I had a window of time then to kind of digest it um, and then it was confirmed when the when the biopsy results 
came back and you, you kind of float along in a in a haze um, in those days because even though you're waiting for the biopsies to come back, you're just trying to cope with being told you have cancer, you know, um, and the effects that has on uh, or it has on my my family and my friends and um, yeah, and for you know for anyone that's experienced um, experienced they're, they're that the words, yeah, they're the words that nobody wants to hear. Yeah, that you know, you 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 expect in your life that some things will will be difficult and times will be difficult. But um, this was obviously a whole other battle that I didn't uh, think I'd have to fight. But everything from you finding the lump to going to the doctor to going for the triple assessment and just explain what a triple assessment is. So for for most for people that want to go and have a mammogram, I think the age in Ireland is fifty. But if anyone has any concerns, you can go to your GP and if they think it's necessary, they will send you for an appointment. Um, a triple assessment was what I was sent for. That's your mammogram, um, an ultrasound and a biopsy if needed. Okay. So that all happened within a few days for me. Um, and, and, and we're talking September of last year. We're talking in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. So that was, you know, everything was, I suppose, it was scary times for a lot of people anyway. Um, and, you know, the hospitals were under an awful lot of pressure. But that being said, um, I was seen very quickly. And um, I suppose from the date that I went to my GP to when I actually ended up having the mastectomy, it was only 24 days. So um, it was all very fast. And looking back now, do you think that was good that you didn't have the time to sit around and worry? What What is it? What could it yeah, be? What might it I, be? That's it. And I think if I, if, like if I was probably being honest with myself, I was a bit numb. So now more so I look back and think, God, like you, I think you, I was genuinely probably in shock as well. Um, and, you know, it it just all happened so quickly that the thing with any type of cancer really, I suppose, is you're just catapulted into this world of appointments and every week there's an appointment or there's something and you... you you really don't have time to think you're literally just doing whatever you can do to get to the other side of it and um and that's that's what I did so um, you had a, you had a, a full mastectomy i yeah i had a left mastectomy and i had um 18 weeks of chemotherapy um and um nearly a year of a um an immunotherapy drug called herceptin so i suppose my naivety with it was I just I would have thought breast cancer was breast cancer but there's so many different types yeah. um, and you know it was true reaching out to the charity Breast Cancer Ireland then that you know I, I did get in contact with um, a lot of women that were going through it and an awful lot of women my age um, and that was kind of something I noticed as well in the, in the chemo ward when I was having my chemo was I was surrounded by a lot of ladies like that were similar age so you know, um, it's something that I suppose we all need to be um, so aware of. And mm. and that's just listening to our bodies. And, and um, if there's any changes at all, just getting into our GP. Um, but you, you end up being catapulted into a club that you never wanted to join. Yeah. But suddenly you've joined this uh, club. And, and I constantly hear, Claire, from uh, people, the support that cancer patients get from fellow cancer patients? Yeah, like I've I've made some great friends as well. Um, 
you know, through through all this and and it's in those moments where, you know, possibly for me, I found that, like, when I lost my hair, that was something that I, I struggled with an awful lot. Um, but, you know, outside of, like, my husband and my kids and my amazing friends here, it, it is the friends as well that you make along the way that are that are going through things the same at the same time or even people that are out the other side that, re, you know, that help you to to get confidence in yourself again and you know, that I choose to live my life now that cancer will not be part of the future for me. Um, but at the same time, it was important for me to to kind of do something that I felt was helping other people. And I suppose that's why I am on the radio talking or that's why I went and released the song. Well done. Um, well done. And, you, and, you, and you, will, you will help others. What was the chemo like, Claire? Was that very tough? It was like, it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. Um, but when you come out of it and the, the sickness you experience during it lifts, and there's amazing, you know, anti-sickness drugs, but for me, chemo was tougher than I could have ever imagined. But um, I'm stronger now than I ever imagined. Brilliant. So, so, you, so are you're, you're nearly, are you at the first year anniversary, September? I am. Yeah. I, that was um, the 8th of September okay. um, was when I was was when I was diagnosed. So a year gone now. And, and where where um, are you at now, treatment wise? I am still receiving the Herceptin. Um, yeah. That's every three weeks. But you know I'm flying along, and I'm I'll be done with that very soon. And um, I'm just looking forward to you know the future and um, the hair the hair growing yeah. back. Yeah, I'm getting some, sprouting some beautiful curls at the moment. Um, <laughs> so it is growing back and it's actually a lovely feeling to 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 kind of, you know, just it, it feels like everything's healing when you see your hair yeah, going back abs- and it's a lovely yeah, thing. Yeah. And did you go, did you rock the bald look or did you go down the wig route? I went down the, the wig route. Yeah. But that being said, then I, as soon as I could, as soon as my own hair started growing back, um, I... I was just, yeah, I'm just as I am now. Um, but for everyone, it's so different. And for a lot of people, there, you know, there's amazing um, supports out there now that will kind of guide you along the way with whatever suits for people. And, you know, for me, I decided to to have my hair shaved because I, I found it very hard to see it falling out every day. So I suppose it's a, a personal choice for everyone. But um for me, I just wanted to feel like I had some control in what was happening, and yeah, and that was why it's, I did it's that. It's what works. There's no right or wrong. It's what works. Yeah. For, it's what works for you. Now, tell me about the song, and, and we are going to play it um, in, at the end of, uh, of the interview. Uh, why did you decide to write this song? So um, I just wanted to do something that I felt would help other people, um, and um, Breast Cancer Ireland are an amazing charity. Um, you know that research is so important, and life for people that have you know metastatic breast cancer like there's so much more research that needs to be done so breast cancer ireland do amazing outreach research and education programs and all the proceeds from my song go to go to them um and i wrote it and had it recorded in uh, wayfield recording studios and then decided to we had a music video done by av3 media posted it up online and the response was just unreal and you know, the messages, I wake up to messages every day and that's honestly from people that are starting out or that are, you know, quite ill in hospital and that to me was, you know, to think that 
that the song is bringing comfort to people or it resonates with them and it'll go on to hopefully help in some level with the research that needs to continue is is like winning the lotto in ways. You know, it's, well it's a lovely thing. So well, do, well done. And people can, how can people, people can download them and buy these songs? They can. It's, yeah, it's available. So it's Piece by Piece by Claire Hayden and it's available on all your regular platforms um, on iTunes, Android, and um, I suppose if they wanted to, you know, hear the song before they download it, it's on um, my Facebook page and my Instagram play page as well. And um, sure, look, I maybe you might be able to to pop it up on your yeah, and we're, and we're going to play it now in in just a minute as uh, as well. Did it come yeah. easily to you when you were um, writing it? Was- it? Um, I suppose I was just trying to be as, as real as I could with how I was feeling at the time. And it did, in a way, because it just, yeah, it, it, it was just genuinely how I felt going through it. Um, and um, it did, like I suppose, really it was a couple of hours and then tweaking it and things inside in the recording studio. But it's just been a, a lovely reaction to it. And um yeah, I'm delighted about how it turned out. Well done, and I just think it's incredible because when I, when I heard it, I just God, it's, it's such a beautiful piece. But when when I listened to it, and I listened to it the second time, I was thinking, you know, you recorded this in the middle of your treatment. You know, that's a really brave and a strong thing to do. You're a mighty yeah. woman. Oh, thank you so much, <laughs> and thanks so much for having having me on as well. Oh, listen, um, listen, and if your story, I, I, do you know what I think is so important about your cancer journey was the fact that when you felt that lump, you didn't ignore it. You decided no. straight away, as scary as it is, I'm going yeah. to go and, and, and check it out with my, with my doctor. Because, I mean, only last week we were talking about Pro Sarah Harding from Girls Alive Loud, who'd be similar age uh, to, uh, to you, yeah. who, who passed away. And by her own admission, she ignored the signs because of COVID and she didn't. And then, yeah. of course, when she went, it had spread. You know, and you just think, yeah, oh, this is, is dreadful. If this poor woman had gone earlier, her story might be similar to yours. You know, Absolutely. So. And I think for like anybody that would be listening this morning, look, we're all, we can all have unbelievably busy lives and put things on the long finger. But, you know, even if it's not a lump, even if it's just something that is a change, every one of us needs to be breast aware and body aware. And, you know, I think change is the biggest word more than more than a lump or anything like that going forward because we know our bodies and if there's something that doesn't sit right with us or we're not feeling well for a while, just to get into our GPs and early detection is, is key in it's all vital. this. It's vital. It's vital. Listen, yeah. Claire, continue. Good luck on thanks your journey. So Good luck with this song because it really is uh, stunning and thanks for joining us on the programme. Talk to you soon. Thanks again. Yeah. Good morning to you and uh, Claire Hayden. And here is Claire Hayden, piece by piece. That is Claire Hayden from Bantry in West Cork, piece by piece, uh, written and sung by Claire. I just think it's I'm still blown away by the fact that she was in the middle of cancer treatment when she wrote it and when she recorded it. She's a beautiful, beautiful singer. It is terrific. And all proceeds from that song going to uh, Breast Cancer Awareness. And of course, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month uh, next month. Karma says, delighted to hear Claire's song, piece by piece, getting airtime outside of being for charity. It's a fabulous song, says Claire. 
air and uh, Carmel and it deserves to be aired here here uh, Carmel it does it really is uh, terrific and Devon says oh Patricia it's so important uh, to get breast checked as Claire and be breast aware as Claire was saying my poor niece a 44 year old did check and tomorrow she faces a daunting surgery to remove her breast implant put in and reconstruction to remove her breast implant put in and reconstruction done all in one surgery she'll be having in St James's Hospital in Dublin we're devastated for her Fingers crossed it will all go well. And that's from Yvonne. Oh, Yvonne will keep your lovely niece in our thoughts and prayers. And please, God, listen, listening to Claire, you know, there are some really positive stories when people get in, get in on time. And it was great to hear Claire say, you know, she went and how quickly from her first day discovering a lump, going to a doctor and within 24 days she was in having her mastectomy. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, and I know people knock our health system here in this country but countless times I've interviewed people who talk about the cancer services in this country once you get in and get into the system they are just incredible and they have and they do continue to save lives and please God Yvonne you're, we'll be talking about your niece in the same way we're talking about Claire this time next year you'll be looking back and saying oh my God that was a year ago how quickly the year has gone and hopefully she'll be back fighting uh, fit send her on our best uh, wishes uh, Yvonne 1850 John Paul taking your calls Court to Day on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Earlier this month, it was reported that the Asian hornet, which preys on honeybees and other insects, was spotted in Ireland. This hornet is responsible for the loss of almost 50% of beehives in some European regions. UCC are leading research into this insect, and joining me, the Research Assistant at Atlantic Positive and that's uh, Rachel Hayden. Good morning to you, Rachel. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for the introduction. Well, you're very welcome uh, and you're welcome along to the programme. Can you tell me about this Asian hornet, what we currently know about it and why it's such a threat? Yeah, of course. So I suppose just the background to the hornet itself. Uh, It's native to East Asia and it was accidentally introduced into France in 2004 it's believed that it was brought in, brought in through a pottery consignment. And since then, it's spread throughout much of Western Europe. Um, and as you said, it was first reported in Ireland earlier this year as well. So really, the threat comes from um, its aggressive nature. It eats insects, um, and it especially preys on honeybees, where they're readily available, and other pollinators. So really, the threat comes from, um, you know, their consumption of native species which can then affect our pollination services and biodiversity. And we know how important our pollination uh, services and how important our bee population uh, is. You say it originally came into France and then Mm. did it spread to other European countries? Yeah, so um, they believe that it came in through pottery consignment and from there it naturally spread just from flight. But it also was, you know, it was kind of um, helped along by human intervention. So, you know, brought along through imports or on vehicles itself. Um, So it's kind of a mix of both. But then the leaps and bounds of how far it's after travelling is really due to kind of human transportation. How many sightings have there been in Ireland? Just the one. Just the one, okay. Yeah, there was just the one reported in April of this year in Dublin. And it was presumed to be female because of the time of year. So hornets overwinters. So 
queens are fertilized females over winter and then they emerge in spring to create a colony. So the one that was discovered in April is fleecy female because of the time of year. However, it was found in a state of alive but dying. So it was, it was dead. So there's no chance of a colony after establishing. And this one was reported and it was collected as well. So it's just a singular one. That doesn't mean that we now have the Asian hornet in Ireland. It just acts as a reminder that we need to be prepared should more uh, incursions happen in the future. And is it easy to spot? They are and they aren't, I suppose. Um, so we, we don't have any native hornets in Ireland. So they should, you know, in an instance, they should stand out. So they have an orange face and dark antennae. And then they have like an entirely black or dark, you know, middle segment or thorax. And then their abdomen has an orange um, band near the end of the fourth segment. But what really makes them distinctive is their yellow tipped legs. So the bottom of their legs are yellow and the top of it is black, which really helps them stand out. They're about twice the size of our common wasp. Uh, but there are a lot of native species that they can get mixed up with, such as the common wasp or the giant wood wasp. But as we said, these pollinators or these insects are really important to our native biodiversity. So it's really vital that we familiarize ourselves with what the Asian hornet yeah. looks like so that we're not, you know, we're not targeting our native species. Yeah, I was looking at images of them when I knew you were coming on the programme uh, today. I was looking at image, uh, images of them online. Quite ugly up close, one would have to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> they really are scary, scary looking things. Now, tell me about Atlantic Positive. It was formed back in 2019 and it's, it's a consortium of groups. What do you hope to achieve? So really, our aim is to combat the spread and impact of the Asian hornet. We work with over 10 institutes and research uh, researchers in France, Spain, Portugal and the UK. And we all, I suppose, have different objectives, but they all come together. So in countries where the Asian Hornet is well established, such as France and Spain, they're really interested in looking at the biology of the Asian Hornet. So, you know, seeing if its life cycle changes in a different temperature or different region, looking at their diet and seeing what their impact is on native species and on apiaries. For example, one of our colleagues um, just read a paper last year that showed that the presence of the Asian hornet alone in flower patches reduces the number of um, pollinators visiting and spending time on flowers, which then reduces you know, pollination services. They're also very interested in, in tracking and tracing the Asian hornet. Um, a lot of work done by Peter Tenzi in the University of Exeter in the UK are looking at tagging the Asian hornet to be able to locate the nest. However, in Ireland, I suppose our, our um, objective is slightly different because we don't have the Asian hornet here. So what we're looking at is we're looking at assessing the risk of the Asian hornet establishing in Ireland. Because there's many steps to an invasion. It's not just about the hornet getting here. Uh, you know, we need to look at what our environmental parameters are, like our weather and what food availability we have, and see if that overlaps with the Asian hornet. And we're really interested in just raising awareness. That's why we had the Asian Hornet Week last week, just to get as much awareness out there so that people will be able to, you know, identify the Asian Hornet and know what to look for should they be spotted in the future. Okay, and then report it if they do spot it. Yes, yeah. Please report it to the National Biodiversity Data Centre. They have uh, an app dedicated to um, reporting species and you can report invasive species there but you can also go on to biodiversityireland.ie and report them through there as well. If you're a beekeeper, you can report through the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine as well. Yeah, big, big, big worry for the beekeepers. Listen, uh, Rachel, keep up the good fight against this Asian hornet and thank you for joining us on the programme.
Oh, thank you so much. Good we morning. do have a few more events coming up. Okay. Um, we do have an international congress that is going to be online and available to everyone. So uh, we'll be posting more about that on our social media pages in the next few weeks. Okay, we'll keep a lookout for that. Thanks, uh, Rachel. Right, thank you so much. Thanks have for joining us, uh, you too. Bye-bye. Rachel Hayden, a research assistant at Atlantic Positive. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And on Gareth Brooks, the listener says, why is Gareth Brooks coming to Croke Park again? Could he not do a concert in, say, Galway, do one in Kerry and then maybe come to Cork, spread it around a bit? Croke Park caused problems last year. So could he not go somewhere else? Well, can I say, if you're talking about Croke Park caused problems for Gareth Brooks, that wasn't last year. It was actually 2014, seven years ago, that those concerts were planned and then had to be uh, cancelled. I assume the reason that he wants to come to one venue and do two, three, or if Gareth Brooks had his way, five uh, gigs. The last time it was five gigs back to back. They would They ran every day for five days and that's more to do with the construction of the set getting the set in place and then you leave it in place for the duration of one, two, three however many concerts you decide to do it's very expensive to pack up all of that equipment and move it around now I know other bands have done it and have played they might play Dublin and Cork or Belfast but it is very expensive so I'm assuming that is one of the main reasons why it was decided instead that um Oh, that's the main reason the bands themselves, large bands who travel. I then remember he's travelling from the States with all of the equipment and a huge amount of equipment would come for a concert like that. And thank you to people who are giving suggestions for Tom, one of our regular listeners who contacted us, needs to lose some weight and is wondering with all of the different slimming clubs and organisations, he's in West Cork, was looking for suggestions from listeners. Uh, Sheila has suggested Slimming Word. Sheila says it's a particularly great programme for men. So if uh, Tom wants to go down that route. And then somebody else sent me on the name of somebody who runs a weight loss programme in Killarney a gentleman by the name of Pat Sheehan and I've passed on all of the details to uh, Tom but this listener says this is a fantastic place to lose weight he deals with clients all over the world he's based in Killarney he's just realistic and it's a normal food diet with no messing with fads etc passing you on his number to please pass on to Tom I hope he gets in contact with Pat wishing him the best on his journey I'm on that journey myself yeah and so many people I think particularly with COVID. A lot of people put on the COVID stone. We've heard people uh, talk about because we all sat at home and watched Netflix and a lot of people comfort eating and all of that. So definitely there are a number of people kind of facing into this winter saying, I've got a bit of weight uh, to lose. Tough journey. But if you can go on it and, and avoid all those fad diets, absolutely avoid all the fad diets because they simply do not work. We were talking about the possibility of rises in social welfare. We're going to have to wait for the budget. The budget is due out next month in October and the speculation is that there will be rises in the state pension but the speculation also is that there'll be rises across all of the social welfare payments and the reason for this was Leo Varadkar while speaking at the Fine Gael thinking in County Meath said that that's what they're looking at. They're looking at returning to what he said, a more norm in the budget and a more normal budget would be increases in pensions and in social we- welfare. Now, he refused to disclose how much. He's not saying, is it going to be a five or a week? Is it going to be a ten or a week? He's not saying how much, but they're speculating that that's what they are looking for. Somebody wants to point out if they do give that increase next month and there'll be a big fanfare and people will be delighted to hear that they're getting a bit of an increase, the, the realisation then kicks in when you won't, when you 
when that increase will not normally doesn't get paid until January if they want to increase something in a budget like the cigarettes or the petrol or the price of a pint even though the price of a pint hasn't gone up in a while in the budget but the old reliables they normally kick in from midnight on the night of the budget but then any of the increases don't kick in as this listener says usually until January and can I say I remember increases that didn't kick in until March because I remember there was an increase in social welfare and I don't know if it was for old age pensioners or if it was across the board but I remember when people realised it was kicking in just before St Patrick's Day and people were saying we heard about that last October and we're only getting it now so yes you're right whatever announcement is made it certainly won't come until at least the start of the new year and then in Mill Street listener says Patricia do you know if passports for the over 70s are free. The reason I ask is I renewed mine online and I was charged €75. If they are free, can you let me know, please? And also, how can I get a refund? Well, I don't have any good news for you on that because it was during the boom that the government allowed free passports. It was back in 2004, if I'm not mistaken, that they started issuing free passports Uh, 2005, people over the age of 65 were entitled to get a passport uh, for free. But that got scrapped during the austerity measures in 2011. That entitlement was done away with. It wasn't just for the over 70s, it was for the over 60s as well. And uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs at the time said the move was down to budgetary constraints. They couldn't afford it. So in 2011, when there was a lot of austerity measures, including cuts to social welfare payments, one of the other cuts they made was they ended the free passports to over 65s. And the last time we contacted the government about free passports to the over 65s was back last year in 2020 and the government indicated to us then that they had no plans to reintroduce the provision of free passports to pensioners despite claims that it affected the most vulnerable of older people. So I'm sorry to that person you paid €75 and you're not entitled to a refund and anybody else over the age of 65 applying for a passport you unfortunately have to pay the same as everybody else. And then a North Cork listener says Patricia I'm wondering when will the council rehome us they won't even answer my calls they won't even answer my letters we're getting a really hard time from our neighbours now we have been approved for a trans- transfer but hearing nothing yet God that must be awful to be living next to obviously the neighbours from hell and antisocial behaviour and the fact you've been a- approved for a transfer the council are accepting that your living conditions are bad I don't know how long that has been going on and it's difficult because normally I say when I get in texts like that I normally say to people oh you need to ring them you need to write to them uh, but you're saying that you're not hearing from anyone I wonder I don't know where in North Cork you are is there a local councillor you could contact and explain that you have put in for a transfer you have been approved for the transfer but nothing is happening in the defence of the council I, if you've put in for a transfer and you've been approved they're obviously now waiting for a house to become available in the area that they're going to transfer you to so maybe that's the we have a housing uh, crisis unfortunately 1850 if anybody else can offer advice to somebody who has been approved for a, tra- a transfer but is still waiting is there any way to speed up that particular uh, process 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app A Cork County Council initiative Featuring over 850 places To see and things to do 
Kildallery Community Development Association they're holding their weekly lotto draw it's in the community office it's happening this Thursday 4 o'clock where they've got a jackpot that's climbing it's 3,300 euro Skibbereen Country Market goes ahead next Friday from 11.30 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon it's in the Abbey Story Church they'll have lots of cakes bread jam chutney plants etc everything that you'd expect at a country market and to celebrate the bicentenary of St Martin's Church in Farnavane, Farnavan, Mass will be celebrated this Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It'll be by the Bishop of Cork and Ross, Bishop Finton Gavin. It'll be followed by a book launch on the history of the church. There will be a plaque unveiling plus refreshments and music. Now seating will be available outside and they'll also have a big screen. All are welcome. And please note that no booking is necessary. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie And a listener has taken me to task and rightly so for saying old age pension and I normally say the state pension I don't, I, I'm going to have to really check watch myself on this in the future. This sister says oh, Patricia, please don't say old age pensioners. I became a pensioner this year and I don't feel the old age. Of course you don't. I shall try my very best if I'm talking about pensions in the future not to put old in beside it because there's many many people hit 66 and get their pension and they are far from old. Continue to ing- uh, enjoy your state pension and hopefully we'll be celebrating and saying that you're going to get a little bit of an increase when the uh, budget gets announced next month. Now on Gareth Brooks we put up an, on our Insta stories earlier just by way of a bit of fun when we saw Gareth Brooks all over the papers today and uh, we were remembering back to 2014 and the fun we had with it at the time with it's on, it's off no it's going ahead, there's an extra one. Oh my god 400,000 tickets sold. Ah, sorry you all have to have a refund and we all remember that and now there's talks that he is returning Would you buy tickets was the simple question we asked on our Insta stories 46 percent of people who interacted with us this morning said yes they would buy tickets if Garth Brooks decides to return to Ireland next year with 54% saying no. And then Michael one of our listeners has sent me on the latest poll results that are just in from a similar poll that has been running nationwide on the journal .ie and it ties in with our results but it's a much higher figure 74% of people said no they would not buy a ticket to Gard Brooks if he decides to play Ireland next year. Uh, on the yeses, 12.6% said yes and they were people who had a ticket in 2014 and yes but didn't have a ticket in 2014 was a further 12.3% but 72% of people said no, they wouldn't buy a ticket to Gareth Brooks which will be, we will watch that space very, very carefully if Garth Brooks decides to play how quickly will the tickets sell out and will he sell anything like he sold in 2014 and will as many people decide to go along because I definitely think in 2014 there was a little bit of hype went with it that when it started I'm sure they started with two gigs and then they started adding as they sold out they added another and added another and there was a huge amount of hype 
attached to it. And it was because I remember now I'm not it's not that I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Garth Brooks. Absolutely. I like some of his music. And would I go and see him if he was playing locally? Of course I would. But I don't know if I'd be going all the way up to Dublin and doing an overnight to go and see Garth Brooks. I wouldn't be that much of a fan of the man. But I remember at the time in 2014 thinking, should I get tickets for this? Because there was so much hype attached to it. It was a little bit like when Ed Sheeran decided to play Cork. I wasn't a huge fan of Ed Sheeran, but there was so much hype around Ed Sheeran playing Cork and the fact that he was playing here at home. I got a ticket and went along to it and it was one of the greatest things that I did. I absolutely adored that concert and became an Ed Sheeran fan having attended it. But you know the way sometimes you just get caught up in the hype of it all and I sometimes question was that what happened in 2014 and looking at the results of those surveys out today that's exactly what it's looking like it could have been but of course only time will tell. 1850 and I just want to bring in something that I spotted. I spotted it online and I spotted it in some of the papers today and it caught my eye because the headline was Potty Training Cows may help save the planet. And this is according to some scientists who are doing some research into this. And if there are anyone from the farming community listening to us, I am very interested in your thoughts on this. Training cows to use a bovine toilet could help reduce greenhouse gas emissions and it could save the planet, according to scientists. It's researchers from the Farm Annual Farm Research Institute for Farm Animal Biology. It's based in France. They have attempted to potty train 16 cows using a moo contraption. And it's a moo contraption that they designed themselves. And no, this isn't an April Fool's. This is genuine research that is going on and has been going on for some time in France. They successfully trained 11 out of the 16 cows to regularly use the toilet which captures their waste and then disposes of it before it turns into nitrous oxide. Now nitrous oxide is important because that's the third most important greenhouse gas behind methane and carbon dioxide. The co-author of the study which has just been released is an animal psychologist at this research institute. Oh sorry, it's teamed up with the research institute in Germany and he says it's usually assumed that cattle are not capable of controlling their bowels and their bladders. Cattle, like many other animals, our farm animals, are quite clever and they can learn a lot. Why shouldn't they be able to learn how to use a toilet? Cows are notorious for their gassy stomachs and the amount of flatulence. And we know that the flatulence is a major source of global methane emissions. But the environmental impact of cattle farming goes beyond the wind that they create as the amount of land and energy needed to produce cattle, the feed and the land for grazing, that in itself creates huge amounts of carbon dioxide. It has previously been estimated that cattle agriculture accounts for about 15% of all of the greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. So if there's anything we can do to reduce even some of that 15% of the world's greenhouse emissions. It certainly would be welcomed and the scientists are right, it would save the planet. But while methane and carbon dioxide are the two most troublesome gases, cows are also indirectly responsible for producing the third, this one that we spoke about, this nitrous oxide. 
how does the nitrous oxide come? Well, it's the faeces and the urine that's produced by the cows. That mixes together. That turns into ammonia. And when that seeps into the soil, specialist bacteria then turn it into this nitrous oxide. To potty train the calves, researchers began by rewarding them when they urinated into the toilet. And then they allowed them access to the toilet even when they were outside grazing. Researchers say that the cows showed a level of performance which is comparable to that of children and was actually superior to that of very young children. They hope that with more training, the success rate can be improved. The doctor who's leading up the study hopes that in a few years' time, all cows will be trained to go to the toilet. And you can find out more about the findings because it's published in a journal called Current Biology. And it isn't a made-up story. It is very genuine. And there's researchers working in two well-known, seemingly, within the agricultural industry the Research Institute of Farm Animal Biology in France and then the other one is the Research Institute for Farm Farm Animal Biology in Germany and they've been working on it quite some time but they've had a success. 11 out of the 16 calves they managed to potty train and learn to use the toilet. As I say, I would just love to hear the reaction from some Irish farmers listening to us uh, this morning. Do you think this is the way forward? And do you think all of our cows into the future will be using toilets? Your thoughts welcome to 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
and Joe Heffernan joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, Joe, I know we're hoping to talk about uh, fair fight and how to deal in situations where you get angry with somebody. But I, I firstly want to deal with this because we got in this email from a listener who wants to remain anonymous, which is fine. And it really is quite a distressing email. And it's somebody suffering from OCD. And I'm going to read the, the email because I'm also conscious and aware of other people who might find themselves in the very same situation. So the email reads, Hi, I'm writing this email to you. I'm sitting in my room, not able to leave it and go out and join the rest of the family after my mum and dad went away for the first time since I've been diagnosed with this disease. I've suffered for for around 10 years with depression and anxiety, but in the past four years, I've suffered from very severe OCD. I've gone to doctors, psychiatrists, hypnosis, faith healers, reflexology. I've done cognitive behaviour therapy, but nothing seems to work for me. I have a great family and I can't help think if something happens to my mum and dad, how will I cope with that? How will I manage on in life without them? By them being away today, just away for one night, I realise I can't. I'm confined to my bedroom with nobody allowed in. I go to the toilet and because nobody has cleaned the kitchen and sanitised it, I'm unable to go into the kitchen. I sanitise from head to toe every night, my face, my hair, everything, after spending an hour or so in the shower. I can't make my own food or drinks, even a cup of tea. I change my clothes up to five times a day and my pyjamas four times. That's even before going to bed. If I don't have a shower before bed, I'll stay up all night long until the next morning comes when my anxiety eases to start the day all over again. I have no life. My sister and I were once so close, but now I can't even sit at the same table with her or any other member of the family. It breaks my heart and I know it breaks their heart as well. My mum and dad are in their 60s and they should be living life now that their kids are raised. Instead, they're constantly worried about me. I need more help. I can't seem to find it. Do you know if anybody else suffers from this? It's not even my fear of germs. I'm just afraid of other people's dirt and just not feeling right. Please, if somebody could help, I really would appreciate it. I prefer to remain anonymous, which is very obvious. That is so totally heartbreaking. So, Joe, firstly, when this girl says, does anybody else suffer like this? I mean, you, you work in that area. Would you have heard of other people battling like that? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, to a greater and lesser, you know, extent, um, OCD, um, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And when you break down the words, an obsession of the mind um, uh, combined with a, a compulsive or r- ritualistic um, ritual, we'll call it, and um, uh, to relieve the anxiety. Uh, you know, uh, no, there are there are subtypes. Uh, we, as we would have spoken about um, uh, before, um, I don't know when. Um, but here we are talking about um, uh, c- contamination OCD. Um, a fear of being contaminated. Now, there was a time, you see, when 
uh, we see a person who was washing his or her hands. I, I don't know whether the, the gender of the uh, the email person. It's a female. She's, she's female. All right. She's female. Okay. Um, there was a time when um, the hand washing excessively was, um, you know, one would be uh, regarding it as um, let's deal with it as um, uh, a manifestation of a problem. Then along came COVID-19 and everyone was being told to wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Yeah, you can't and, wash um, your hands enough. You see, and, and the whole thing became a little bit um, difficult for people working with somebody with uh, contamination or CD. But I do remember one young person um, here with me many, many years ago, and um, uh, it all started with um, uh, a thing that happened one day was... Um, it was a female, and uh, she she patted her dog in the yard outside the home, and um, you know she was very fond of the dog, and um, the dog was a pet. And then she came in, and she had a burger, and then she realised that she hadn't washed her hands after patting the dog before she had the burger, and uh, this um, fear or anxiety—it's an anxiety disorder—grew uh, and grew. Um, and uh, she began um, washing the hands um, obsessively. And um, when when she arrived to me, we were talking. She showed me her hands, and both of them were really red, red, red. Um, uh, and the skin was damaged from all the uh, washing. And um, yeah, we talked away, and we talked away, and she came several times, and this and that, and the other thing. And then... One day she said to me, she kind of looked up suddenly and she said, Joe, it's silly, isn't it? And I said, yeah, okay. And that was it. It stopped. Wow. Um, Now, that was rather amazing. And, um, uh, you know, I I can say that that kind of um, uh, sudden... Uh, it's silly and leave it there. Uh, a light, a light very often. Yeah, it's a light bulb moment, but that wouldn't happen with everybody. No, indeed. No, yeah. indeed. But the thing is that um, the usual treatment um, for um, uh, OCD, the usual treatment would be um, psychotherapy and medication. Uh, very often, the combination of the two is. Um, uh, kind of the maybe the gold standard way to go. Some people, um, uh, you know, find that the psychotherapy is um, is extremely helpful. Uh, other people would find that the medication is extremely helpful, and many many people would find that the combination of the two is the most helpful. So, as we say so often on the program, uh, first port of call. GP. Now, the GP may well uh, refer on um, either to uh, psychotherapy or psychiatry, um, you know, uh, in that way. Now, with psychotherapy, um, as we often mention, the IACP.ie website, there's two and a half thousand of us there. So, they're invariably, if you look up, find a, uh, find a psychotherapist, 
you'll find someone probably within 20 minutes of, of your home. Um, that's just uh, to say that the, that, that, is, um, that service is readily uh, available. And uh, all the ISCP um, therapists would be accredited and and uh, competent. And they all would have worked with people with OCD in the past. And even Absolutely. though, even yeah. though our listener, you know, says, "Oh, I've 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 tried this and and I've done that and I've been to the doctor," she needs to go back to the doctor. She needs to go back to the yeah. GP. Uh, what, what didn't obviously what was tried in the past didn't work, but keep trying. Yeah. And 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 the message. Yeah. People have recovered. People as bad as the situation is at the moment. And her life sounds miserable. And my heart yeah. goes out to her. It just sounds miserable. When and and she wants to help herself. I mean, the fact that she's reached yeah. out through the email, she wants to help herself. And we can talk a little bit about that. And uh, we can always come back to the Fair Fight Guidelines next week. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, things that have helped down through the years. Uh, look at the feelings with interest and the thoughts, especially the thoughts, with interest rather than fear. A kind of a, oh, here we go again kind of thing. But I can open that door. I can put my foot outside that door. And I can walk out to, we'll say, the kitchen. Um, uh, You know, or a person can resist going back for the fifth time to check the front door. Is it locked? Etc. Now, as well, I saw a television program recently, and um, now I thought it was, um, uh, you know, um, maybe extreme treatments. One of them was called uh, deep brain stimulation, um, and the other one was called transcranial magnetic stimulation. But, I mean, they were brain invasive and... um, I don't think that anyone would be heading that way uh, without having gone, we'll say, the less um, uh, risky uh, route. But just that a person would know, they are there in extreme... um, Because somebody else has said, would you uh, recommend that that girl go for EMDR therapy? I found it much better than CBT. Do you know what EMDR, it's eye movement, desensitisation and reprocessing. Have you heard of that before? Yeah, Um, I I did some courses in it and um, uh, there's a colleague of mine is a a great practitioner of it and um, and a great believer uh, in it. It's usually as a treatment for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Um, That's its main application. But... Fair enough. I mean, uh, nothing beats somebody being able to say, I did this and it worked. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in that. That, um, you you know, whatever about all the professorial books, that if somebody says, I suffered from that and this is what I did and it worked, I, I would listen very much to that. Yeah. So, EMDR... Um, can be, uh, as we say, Googled. And um, and if anybody wanted to contact me, I could put them in the way of... Um, the person that uh, you know a, that does uh, it. An expert practitioner yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, um, but, but, but first of all, go back to your doctor, go back to her GP. Oh, absolutely. Or top of the list. Absolutely top of the list. Go to the GP. Now, 
they, very often the medications that are used um, for OCD um, would be um, uh, antidepressants, um, especially antidepressants that have an anti-anxiety um, uh, component in them. Um, uh, and uh, you see, a lot of people don't understand that one antidepressant, we'll just use antidepressants as an example, uh, one antidepressant that uh, would be marvellously helpful for one person might be not tolerated at all by another person. There are several of them there. But unfortunately, sometimes a person is prescribed an antidepressant, that particular one doesn't suit them, so they say, no, didn't work, I won't be, I won't be taking any of those which is, um, you know, uh, not the best uh, uh, attitude because um, where, you know, when, when, when they were called by their, by their, we'll say, commercial names, I mean, one person might be on Lexapro and it mightn't suit them at all. And then they would go on Cipramil and that might be um, perfect. Uh, for perfect. Them. Yeah, and uh, what would work for me might not necessarily work for you. That's the point I'm trying yeah. to get across. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the listener says, my daughter suffers with OCD and she's refusing to take the medication. Now, that's tricky for, and, and I don't know, I don't think that that would be the case with the, the, the young woman who's contacted us because she's, you know, she very much says her family are supporting her and, and she's desperate to get help. But that's, a, that's equally hard for the person caring for the person with the OCD not giving the medication a chance? Well, you see, um, I, I often, uh, if a person, when I would get a call, we'd say from a parent about, um, uh, li- like now, in, in, the, in the instance we're talking about, I, I, I would say, and how are you? And I would be talking about um, looking after oneself. And I would be using, that we've often said, our aeroplane analogy, you know, when, in case of an emergency, when the um, oxygen um, thing comes down, put on your own first and then attend to any child or dependent person. Because if we don't look after ourselves, we're not going to be any good to another person. We need to look after ourselves. And... Um, uh, there's an issue called um, codependency where, you know, a person's whole life is focused on uh, another person's uh, illness. It can, be, uh, it, can be, it can be cancer, it can be depression, it can be um, um, whatever. Um, but uh, a person also needs to look after him or herself um, you know, uh, the person there now that wrote to you said that uh, the mum and dad had taken a, a little break away. Yeah. Um, and um, for the you know, first I, for the I, first I, time, I would applaud that. Yeah, I, I yeah. Would because it's, it's you know, important. It's important. Um, Somebody else yeah, who's who has yeah. suffered from OCD in the past uh, says potentially that young woman has suffered a trauma in the past which has triggered her OCD. I'm not mm. an expert, but I did suffer from OCD. But I'm aware of people in similar situations. She not be she may not even be aware of the link of the past trauma and and making the connection with her current uh, OCD mm. because she did say that mm. she's for ten years suffered with depression and anxiety and then four years 
years ago the OCD uh, kicked in so it is possible as you say with that girl that came to you with the patting of the dog it could be something as small as that or it could be as big as a trauma of some other sort and then when you say 10 years ago and then when it uh, reared its head uh, four years ago you you know you you would be thinking was there a trauma and did it get triggered by something in uh, in more recent years that's a possibility um i would always say to people um uh, well no okay not always where there is a specific issue um fair enough but um when there is uh, we we will say an issue like this i i would say um um you know can you can you think back to any, um, you know, things that frightened you badly, that a bad thing that happened? And um, there have been some amazing things, like a person who was getting panic attacks, and um, we traced it back to uh, a car crash um, about 25 years ago. And um, and things improved immensely. And, yeah, does it help if you can identify what the trigger is? For sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Because... You know, in a way, like, it starts to make sense of things that, um, you, you know, a person, um, uh, the big thing here is a bit of control. And um, uh, when a person can say, all right, or so, okay. And then I would explain to do with trauma, like avoidance, intrusion, and hypervigilance. And, um, you know, all of those cause anxiety. So now we're kind of getting somewhere, do you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I, and, it's, I, and it's just to get the message across to her, you know, particularly when she says, Does, do you know if anybody else suffers uh, from this? You're not the first and unfortunately you're not going to be uh, the last. But the fact that you've made contact at all, you're reaching out looking for help. So please go. There is yeah. help available in your GP, your first uh, port of call. And listen, the best of luck with it. Joe, as always a pleasure. We'll do our fair fight next week, I promise you. And yeah. uh, thank you for that. Have a good week. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Bye bye. Uh, Joe has a counseling practice in Bohapui. If you need to contact Joe, his number is 0868 348145. 0868 348145. For Moy, a listener heard my piece about the French and the Germans teaching cows toilet training them to help with uh, gases, help with. Um, Emissions said, uh, I've heard it all now. Believe me, cows don't give a, an S where or when they go to the toilet. I've had it land on my head lots of times while milking them, says a from listener. And lots of others got a great laugh out of that story. It's a genuine story. I swear to God, I didn't make it up. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. John Green is in for Nick across this week, so he's up next. And we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 to them. Shish Mister. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Q. Cusack Insurances can sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.